Section 10 of The Theory and Practice of Brewing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Santoni. The Theory and Practice of Brewing by Michael Combrun. Section 10 of Artificial Fermentation. By what has been said, it appears that though fermentation is brought on by uniform causes and productive of similar effects, it is subject to many varieties, both in respect to its circumstances and to its perfection. One difference is obvious and seems to deserve our attention, as it furnishes a useful division between natural and artificial fermentation. The first rises spontaneously and requires nothing to answer all the necessary purposes, but the perfection of the juices and the advantage of a proper heat. The other, at first sight less perfect, wants the assistance of ferments or substitutes without which the act could, either not at all or very imperfectly, be excited. There are undoubtedly liquors which, though they have of themselves a tendency to fermentation and are naturally brought to it, yet, from some defect in the proportions of their constituent parts, either do not acquire a proper transparency or cannot maintain themselves in a sound state for a sufficient time. These disadvantages, inbred with them, can hardly ever be entirely removed. They gain very little, especially the latter, from age, and therefore are really inferior to liquors, which require the assistance of substituted ferments to become real wines. In some artificial fermentations, the ferments are so duly and properly supplied, and so intimately blended with the liquor, and in the end they approach very near to, and even vie with, the most perfect natural wines. Were I to enter into a more minute detail, it might be shown that wines, when transported from a hot climate to a cold one, are often hurt and checked in the progress of the repeated frettings they require, from whence they become or remain imperfect, unless racked off from their grosser lees, or precipitated with strong menstruums, whereas beers may be so brewed as to be adapted either to hot or a cold region, not only without any disadvantage, but with considerable improvements. Hitherto I have considered grapes as a most pulpous fruit, sufficient to furnish the quantity of water necessary for extracting its other parts, but the natives of the countries where this fruit abounds, in order to preserve them, as near as possible in their primitive state, after they are gathered, suspend them in barns or place them in ovens to dry. Thus, being in a great measure divested of their aqueous parts, these grapes remain almost inactive and without juices sufficient to form wines. In all bodies, the various proportions of their constituent parts produce different effects. Hence, they remain more or less in a durable state, and tend either to inaction, fermentation, or putrefaction. Now, by a judicious substitution of such parts as shall be wanting, they are nearly, if not wholly, restored to their pristine nature, as may be proved by the observations and experiments communicated to the public by Dr. Pringle. Thus grapes, though dried and exported from their natural climate to another, by the addition of water only, ferment spontaneously, and form wines very near alike to such as they would have produced before. It may, with confidence, be said, that when any considerable difference appears, it arises from the injudicious manner in which the water is administered, from the fruit not being duly macerated, or from want of such heat being conveyed to the water and fruit as the juices would have had, if they had been expressed out of the grapes when just gathered. Often from the whimsical mixture of other bodies therewith, and perhaps too from the quantity of brandy which is always put to wines abroad, to prevent their fretting on board a ship. 
Upon the whole, though, from what just now has been observed, some small difference must take place. It rather proves than contradicts the fact that a due quantity of water being applied to dry raisins, an extract may be formed, which will be impregnated with all the necessary constituent parts the grapes had in them when ripe upon the vine, consequently will spontaneously ferment and make a vinous liquor. Water, then, in this case, becomes a substitute, and the liquors produced in this manner may be accounted of the first class of artificial wines. Vegetables, in their original state, are divisible into pulpous and farinaceous kinds, both possessing the same constituent parts, though in different proportions. If from the farinaceous such parts be taken away as they superabound in, and others be added, of which they are defective, these vegetables may, by such means, be brought to resemble, in the proportion of their parts, more especially in their musts, the natural wines I have before been treating of. And these being universally acknowledged to be the standard of wines, the nearer any fermented liquor approaches thereto, by its lightness, transparency, and taste, the greater must its perfection be. To inquire which of the pulpous or which of the farinaceous kinds of vegetables are fittest for the purpose of wine-making, would here be an unnecessary digression. Experience, the best guide hath, on the one side, given the preference to the fruit of the vine, and on the other, to barley. To make a vinous liquor from barley, having all the properties of that produced from the grape, is a task, which can only be compassed by rendering the wort of these similar to the must of the other. As malt liquors require the addition of other substitutes, besides water, to become perfect wines, they can only be ranked in the second class of artificial fermentation. These substitutes are properly called ferments, and merit the brewer's closest attention. Ferments in general, such as yeast, flowers or lees of wine, honey, the expressed juices of ripe fruits, are subjects more or less replete with elastic air, and convey the same to musts which stand in need thereof. Borhav has ranged these, and several others, in different classes, according to their different powers, or rather in proportion to the quantity of air they contain for this purpose. The juice of the grape, when fermented, forms more lees than the extracts of malt. May we not from thence infer that in the fruit the elastic air is both more abundant and contained in a greater number of stronger, though smaller, vesicles than it is in the malt? The barley, being first saturated with water, germinated only, and then dried with a heat far exceeding that which ripened it, or that which fermentation admits of, has its air in part driven out. The expulsion of air from the warts of beers and ales is still farther affected by the long boiling they undergo. Hence the necessity of replacing the lost elastic air in order that these extracts may become fermentable. This is effected by means of the yeast, which, consisting of a collection of small bubbles filled with air and ready to burst by a sufficient heat, becomes the ferment, which facilitates the change of the wort into a vinous liquor. The musts of malt generally produce two gallons of yeast from eight bushels of the grain, whereas, in the coldest fermentable weather, and for the speediest purpose, one gallon of yeast is sufficient to work this quantity of malt. Much elastic air still remains in beer, or wine from corn, after the first part of the fermentation is over. For the liquor, separated from the yeast above mentioned, is, at the time of this separation, neither flat, vapid, nor sour. But as yeast, the lees and flowers of malt liquors are of a weaker texture than those of grapes. All artificial fermentation should be carried on in the coolest and slowest manner possible. And beers, but more especially such as are brewed from high dried brown malts, 
the heat of whose extracts approaches much nearer to that which dried the grain than is the case in brewing pale malt, ought not to be racked from their lees, as it is frequently practiced for natural wines, unless an account of some defect they are to be blended with fresh warts under a new fermentation. As all ferments are liable to be tainted, great care ought to be taken in the choice of them, every imperfection in the ferment being readily communicated to the must. It would not, therefore, be an improper question to be determined by physicians whether, in a time of sickness, the use of those which have been made in infected places ought to be permitted, and whether, at all times, a drink fermented in a pure and wholesome air is not preferable to that which is made among fogs, smoke, and nauseous stenches. Wines from corn are distinguished by two appellations, viz., those of ale and beer. As each of these liquors have suffered in character, either from prejudice or want of a sufficient enquiry, it may be proper to levy the objections made against their use before we inquire into the means of forming them. The most certain sign of the wholesomeness of wines is transparency and lightness, yet some, which are rich, more especially ales, though perfectly fine, have been said to be viscid. Transparency appears indeed in many wines, before the oils are attenuated to their highest perfection, and some viscidity may therefore be consistent with some degree of brightness. Where the power of the oils and the salts are equal, which is denoted by the transparency of the liquor, viscidity can only arise from the want of age. This cannot be said to be a defect in, but only misapplication of the liquor by being used too soon. That beers retain igneous or fiery particles seems equally a mistake. Malt dried to keep has undoubtedly its particles removed by fire, so far as the cohesion of them is thereby destroyed, otherwise it would not be in a fit state to preserve itself sound, or readily to be extracted. For this reason, when the grain comes in contact with the water, which is to resolve it, an effervescent heat is generated, which adds to the extracting power, and should be looked on by the brewer as an auxiliary help. But it is impossible that the malt or the must should ever enclose and confine the whole or part of fire employed to form them. Fire is of so subtle a nature that its particles, when contained in a body, continually tend to fly off and mix with the surrounding air, so that only an equal degree with what is in the atmosphere can be continued in the grain, or any liquor whatever, after it has been, for some time, exposed thereto. Brown beers made from malt more dried than any other, from experience, are found to be less heating than liquors brewed from pale malt, which probably arises from hence that brown beers contain a less quantity of elastic air than pale beers, as pale malt liquors contain less than wines produced from vegetables in their natural state, and as malt liquors contain their elastic air in bubbles of a weaker consistence than those made from the juices of the grape, the effect of beer, when taken in an overabundant quantity, is neither of so long a continuance nor so powerful as that of wine, supposing the quality and quantity of each to be equal. This may appear to some persons to be the effect of prejudice, yet it is but a justice due to the produce of my country, to add that some physicians have given it as their opinion that strong drinks from malt are less pernicious than those produced from grapes. As far as these gentlemen have, I hope I may advance without being thought guilty of assuming too much or countenancing debauch by pointing out the wines that occasion the fewest disorders. End of section 10